And again, I am thankful to Warren, uh, always being ready to preach the Word of God. He also, uh, if you do not know, uh, teaches our Saturday morning Bible study for men. Uh, They have breakfast and then afterwards they uh, study the Word of God. If you would open your uh, Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Please hear the Word of God. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse and inform our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning I want to talk about stewardship. I want to use the portion of scripture that has been read to talk a little bit about stewardship. And by stewardship, I mean the responsibility which we have to use all that God has provided us with for His glory. Note that I say everything that we have belongs to God. There seems to be some confusion in some circles about that, but that is what Scripture tells us. Everything we have belongs to God. And we are God's stewards over that with which He has, over that, over those things over which we have control. Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 50 tells us that everything belongs to God, even the flocks on on the hills belong to God. As a matter of fact, life itself belongs to God. And for those of you who have been who believe and have accepted and have come to faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture assures you that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So I say, and I say most forcefully, that everything we have belongs to God, and we ourselves belong to God. That is the backdrop from which I speak. And the purpose for which I speak is really to urge believers to examine themselves and to ask, what kind of a steward are you? A word of caution here, 
This is not a call to compare you with others or to compare yourselves with others. That very often is a diversionary tactic which is really the work of the flesh. Leave others to God. God will render his judgment and it is before him that each person will either stand or fall. But until such time, God is graciously giving each and every one of us the opportunity to judge ourselves. Each one judges him or herself. And that affords us the opportunity to take corrective action before he renders his own judgment. Because from that judgment, we have no appeal. Secondly, and this is sort of important here, this sermon is not geared primarily towards non-believers. The message for non-believers is really quite simple. Repent! And believe the words of the gospel. Deep down inside you know that all is not well. Deep down inside you know you're not fully fulfilled. God calls you to turn from your evil ways and believe on his son. When you respond affirmatively to God's call, this will be proof positive of the work of regeneration in your life. And when you have this relationship with Jesus Christ, then this sermon will also apply to you. Let us then return to our purpose at hand. What kind of a steward are you? When we look at the passage before us, I want us to focus, we will agree that it focuses primarily, but I want to use it and broaden the scope a little bit and say that this passage really teaches us something more than about making monetary contributions. If we do that, I think we see the text really in a very limited way. Today I want to broaden the scope and broaden the, widen the application and, and really suggest that we are really stewards of more than money. What I prefer to think, how I prefer to think of it is that we are really stewards of three T's. We are stewards of time, we are stewards of talent, and we are stewards of treasure. All of us have time. God has given each one of us time. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth assures us that the Holy Spirit gives each believer a gift. Very often, believers have more than one gift, but everyone has at least one gift. And we have treasure. Everyone has treasure. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. This, if we use this approach, I would suggest that this provides us an opportunity for a more rounded view of what stewardship is all about. And it is in that vein, and with that wider application in mind, that I invite you now to look at the widow and her two mites. 
which is the old King James translation for the copper coins. Remember this passage, and when you're going, when you're going through this exercise, I want you to be thinking constantly and trying to apply this to yourself. Consider what happened on this occasion. The lady came up, and I see that Christ. Consider Christ's actions. Consider what happened on that occasion. I want to draw your attention to the following. Christ sees, Christ knows, He perceives, He observes, and He is well aware. He sees all persons, and He sees all things. He saw the rich, and He saw the poor. He saw the way they presented the coins, how they dropped them in, whether they did it ostentatiously, whether they did it simply, whether they did it with great fanfare, he saw them all. Apply it to you. He sees you. Christ knows the state and condition and situation we're in. He knew the state and condition and the situation of the poor widow. He knows your situation and he knows your state. Christ perceives what motivates us just as he perceived and he knew the motivation of the widow. Christ is well aware and he observes the circumstances He observes the circumstances that accompany our actions. He is well aware of your circumstances. He knows very clearly what accompanies your actions. And this is perhaps very important. Christ is well aware of the judgments that we form of our own actions. He knows what we think of ourselves. And he knows very often what we think of others. All of that was going on in that little passage when Jesus sat there and he watched people going into the temple and dropping these coins into the treasury. It was a big container and as you drop the money in, you can hear it rattle all the way down. And when you hear it rattling for a long time, you knew that that guy, boy, he was really laying it in thick. And very often it was done with great fanfare. Christ sees it all. He knows it all. He knows the circumstances. He knows what's going on. And even though he does not speak always, he knows what you are doing. He knows all things. He sees all things. But I go further than that. I want to suggest, and I want you to remember, that Christ forms his own judgment of our actions. He did so with the widow. So much piety should be found in someone who was so poor. It's amazing. Listen to his judgment. Actions should be valued not by the appearance, 
but by the spirit that produces them. That's important. How does he value our actions? How does he value our contributions? By the appearance or rather by the spirit that produces them? Think about that. And when you think about it, think about how that applies to you. Hence, if that is true, he's really saying that the actions of both the rich and the poor can be pleasing to God. God is impartial in that sense. He's no respecter of persons. You don't get extra credit just because you give a lot. You don't get extra credit just because you give a little. What is really important is that God judges your actions impartially. He looks at the heart. He looks for simplicity of intention and purity of affection. Yet, even though God operates that way, even though Christ operates that way, we are told by our Lord that he singled out this woman, this particular widow, for praise. And why did he do that? He did that because she gave more. She gave all that she had. You see, the others give, and particularly the rich in this particular instance, they give in part. Others might have given quantitatively more than she did, but proportionally she gave more. The bottom line here is that her giving was sacrificial. It cost her more. Because she had nothing left. She had nothing to rely on. In a sense, she gave in a better spirit as compared to the others. Neither her poverty nor those present influenced her conduct. She was neither ostentatious nor was she grudging. She just came simply, quietly, without any fanfare, and she gave. She gave because she was willing to trust God to provide. When you give and you don't have anything else left, you know that she is relying upon God because she has nowhere else to turn. But what does this all mean? I want to suggest that we could draw a couple of lessons from this situation. One is, I think, that uh, such a situation is probably a cause for some humiliation on the part of the rich. Because very often, the rich, because they are covetous on the one hand, and because of luxury on the other, they give little to God and very little to the poor. On the other hand, you can also consider the poor. The poor. I think there's also a reproof to those who are poor. Because very often those who are poor, because of their distrust in God's providence, they give nothing at all. God knows, God sees, God understands. Well, how do we apply this to our own lives? I suggested at the beginning that we think a little bit about time, talent, and treasure. 
Well, they're 24 hours in a day and 7 days in a week and that's 168 hours. How much do you give to God? Are you satisfied to come here on Sunday and spend two hours and think, you know, fill that square and I could move on, the rest of the time is now mine and I can do with it as I wish? Or do you really take a serious look at your calendar and see how you apportion your time? How much do you really give to God? Do you give a lot? Do you live a little? Do you give in part? Do you give sacrificially? How much do you give? Don't look at the guy next door. Don't look at the person next to you. How much do you give? Talent. You have a gift. Scripture assures us that everyone has a gift. Do you use your gifts for the for the glory of God? Or do you use it in order to promote yourself? Or do you use your gift at all? Or do you use it sacrificially? What do you do with the gift that, with which God has blessed you? Do you really even care? These are the things we need to consider. And how about treasure? Those things that you have of value. Money and other things. How much do you give to God? Do you give a tithe? Do you give a tenth? Do you give a tithe, a tenth and offerings? Do you give less than that? More than that? A good benchmark sometimes is to go back and to pull out that old checkbook and just look down the line and see over the course of a month what did I really spend money on? That, my friend, tells you. Do you give sacrificially? Do you give grudgingly? Only you can tell. But Christ knows. He sees. He understands. He forms his own judgment. So often in the church, we look around and we say, we don't have enough time. So often we look around and say, there aren't enough people with talent to do anything. So often we look around and say, there isn't enough money. My approach to these problems, I think, are really very simple. God calls us to ministry. He calls us to do things which glorify Him. When the church has a program and the people are asked to participate in the program, some people come forward sometimes, some people don't. There are always two possible, possible courses, two conclusions we can draw. One is that God is not particularly interested in that program and the Holy Spirit is really directing us in a different direction. Hence the program is failing. But there's also another conclusion we can draw. That maybe God is interested in that program. And that 
there are people sitting out there who are being disobedient and not responding to the call and not doing anything. And hence the program is failing. Which is it? We are told that in a typical church, less than 10% of the people do 80% of the work, 90% of the work. And some people say, well, we should be happy. It's always been that way. Should we really be happy? Should we really be happy with that kind of participation? Should we really be happy with that kind of contribution from everyone? Should we really be happy with that kind of service? I don't know the answer. All I can do is proclaim God's word and share this example with you and tell you about the widow and the fact that she was willing to act sacrificially and ask you to examine yourself. A closing word. There's a great hymn in the church. It's called Trust and Obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. There is a line in there which I'd like to draw to your attention. It goes like this. But we never can know the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Whenever we give to God, even from that with which he has blessed us, you know what? God gives us even more in return. But when we are tight-fisted, you know what that means? That means that we have a closed fist and we are never in a position to receive the more which he has in store for us. Let us pray. Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee as thou deservest. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not to heed the wounds. To toil and not to seek for rest. To labor and not to ask for any reward, save that of knowing that we have done thy gracious will. This we pray in the name of your dearly beloved Son, who gave himself for us, and rose again magnificently from the grave and is now exalted on high in the heavens. Amen.